four, three, two, one, and good evening, everybody. <clears throat> it's church time. We're getting ready to go live, and once we go live, we're not going to take take any jive. Once we go live, <laughs> I just told how old I was right there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, we welcome all you guys that have joined us wherever you're at around the globe. Appreciate everybody that's tuning in, whether you're in the states here or wherever you're at, and all of you that'll get this podcast. We've been studying the book of Romans, the first two sessions. I believe God's really ministered to a lot of us through those. And uh, we're going to pick up in chapter 3 tonight. And uh, probably we left off, should pick up in verse 27, but I think I want to go back to verse 21 so we can keep that thought going. And then we'll run a couple of places tonight in other parts of the Scripture. So let's pray and uh, welcome all you guys here that are here in the building it always encourages me to see people come out in the middle of the week. <clears throat> people that are serious about their relationship and need and want to get under that word. And, uh, of course, we've got the ability to reach a lot of folks on the road now, and we thank God for all that. So some of those, what well, they call them snowbirds, they can be with us tonight. <laughs> so let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to uh, be together. We thank you most of all for our salvation, for you, Jesus, hanging on that tree for our, taking our place. We should have been the ones that died for our sin, but you took our place. And we're thankful for that. We don't want to take any of that for granted. Thank you for your word. It, heaven and earth is going to pass away, but your word's going to stand forever. Thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit and the guidance and all that you give us. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll speak to us tonight. Let me have the tongue of the learned. And let us all have ears to hear, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so sometimes I preach to myself and let you all listen, but I don't always tell you that, but sometimes that's how it goes. Let's uh, go to Romans chapter 3, let's back up to verse 21 and uh, see what the Holy Spirit's got to speak to us tonight. <clears throat> it says, uh, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now notice the terminology, because this is going to be important the way... This is said to us, uh, the righteousness of God apart from the law. That's how he started this off. This, uh, this, And he says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So that's, that's where this righteousness comes to. It comes to those who believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned. Everybody say amen to that. If somebody didn't say amen, poke them, because they're deceived, right? <laughs> For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that's us, that's all of us, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. That is what we've all experienced in Christ. It's so freeing, isn't it, to be redeemed, to, to know that all your sins are gone and the Lord has washed your sin away. You have a, you're on your way to heaven. And, uh, and that's what the world don't get. You know, it's a bad spot to be in to not experience redemption. And so that's why we've got so many people in our world that are chasing these causes. They're trying to find something to make them feel good about themselves. Well, i got bad news for them. And it's true of all of us. There's nothing good in us. <laughs> and, and the only way to get out of that depressive state is to be redeemed. And to realize that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. 
We are Genesis chapter 1. All of us are Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 speaks of salvation right off the bat because that's what God wanted us to know. He wanted us to know that he, was, he had plans to redeem us because we have fallen. He knew we were going to fall. God was not caught off guard when Adam and Eve fell in the garden. He knew they were going to fall. So he had already, according to Revelation, had already entered into a covenant with his son. He said that, that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So the father and the son had already entered into what the, the most theologians call the everlasting covenant, that Jesus would come and, in the fullness of time and take our place. But in Genesis, the Bible says the earth is without form, it's void inside, and darkness covers it. That's us before we come to Christ. We are void inside, uh, we have no form, and darkness co covers our lives. Then the Bible says the Spirit moved. What did Jesus say? The Spirit draws us to be born again, right? So the Spirit moved on the earth, and then the light came. And that's Jesus, right? So all of that from Genesis 1, heading all the way to the Revelation 22, God is trying to show us His Son and the value of what that means. It means everything. I mean, uh, knowing Jesus means everything. Because if we gain the whole world and lose our soul, what profit is that? There's no profit in that. So he says, all have sinned, uh, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, this righteousness that's apart from the law. All of us have sinned. We've been, verse 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what God did, He... If I... Do I need to do this? Let me, let me read a few more verses and then I'll show you some. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded by what? Law. Of works. No. But by the law of faith. That takes the boasting out, right? Because we, we couldn't keep the law. Nobody could keep the law except for Jesus. And so the boasting is taken away from us because we couldn't hold the standard. If we could have held the standard, then we would have something to boast in. If we could have kept the law... If even Moses, whoever, none of us could keep the law. But if we could have kept the law, then God would have owed us. But we couldn't keep the law. And Moses, so there's no boasting there, and it's not by works. When you work, there's an expectation that you're going to get re rewarded for that, right? You're going to get paid for that. But our works or our righteousness was like filthy rags, as Paul tells us in this same book and that we could not earn our salvation. And that's why, you know, when you talk, when you read about David, David talks about, you know, he was going to make a sacrifice one time, maybe it was Obadiah, or whoever the guy was, said, I'll give you the oxen. David said, no, you're not, you're not going to give me the oxen, because if you give me the oxen, you'll be making the sacrifice and not me. He said, I'll pay you for the ox, right? Because that would be your sacrifice to the mine if it doesn't cost me anything. But then in another place, David said, whenever we bring back to God something, we're only giving back what He's already given us. Everything we have has come from His hand. And so the, we, we got to understand that God's goodness toward us 
and His love toward us that prompts us to be willing to put our faith and our trust in His Son. And he says, there's no boasting because everything we have has come from God anyway, but no, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You see this language now. Or is, or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So the righteous demands of the law had to be met. In other words, God said, if you want to live forever with me, this is how you need to live. And so none of us could do that. So Jesus came in in the fullness of time. He fulfilled the law. He kept the law. He was perfect. He didn't do any wrong. So now God says, if we put our faith in Him, we'll be immersed into Him, into Christ, then that's how we get our justification. My justification, because I've been clothed. Anybody see my Kleenexes? I'm going to leave the, the movie for a minute. So I should keep these up here, I guess, because I'm uh, using them frequently now, especially while we're in Romans. We'll walk the tightrope here. So what happens is when I'm born again, when I believe on Christ and I come to Him, I'm clothed. I get imputed righteousness. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I believed for it, right? And then he said, you're clothed in my righteousness. So now I'm in Christ because of uh, being redeemed, born again, saved, however you want to put it. I'm clothed in his righteousness. So it's no longer me that God sees, but it's his son. That's the righteousness apart from the law through faith. I couldn't keep the law. You couldn't keep the law. I could not please God in my own strength. I believed on Jesus and God said that's righteousness is imputed to you because you've believed. And so he says there's no boasting now because none of us could keep the law. And then in verse 31 he says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. So, he said, is he not only the God of the Gentiles just like he was the Jews? So, let me, let me give you a little information on that so you can understand what's going on here. God called Abram, right? He called Abram. And over here in the fullness of time, he sent Jesus, the Son. In between Abram and Jesus, the law came, right? Not before Abram, after Abram. God changed Abram's name to Abraham. You hear that breath? Abraham. God breathed new life into him, changed his life, called him out, set him apart, just like salvation, called him away, called him out, set him apart. And then he later changed his wife's name, Sarai, to Sarah. Because that's the breath of God. They, they speak with gutturals in the Hebrew, so it's the breath sounds that they get in a lot of their words. And it represents the life of God. Abram went from Abram. And, and as we say in Kentucky, it's Abraham. But uh, if you said it correctly, it would be Abraham. And so in this, God set up 
Now, Jesus, mind you, what I shared with you earlier, Jesus had already been predicted, or that's not the right word. Jesus had already been set aside, so to speak, for this time before the world was formed. Long before Abraham. Jesus was slain before the family. So that tells us that He and the Father had already come into agreement that He would do, He would be our sacrifice. So we're stubborn, right? Men, the flesh is stubborn. We like to do our own thing. So the law does two things, specifically two things. It shows us our inability to please God on our own strength. We're unable to do that. Our inability... And then the second thing the law does, two, these two main things, it shows us our need for a redeemer, right? Remember what Job said? He said, oh, that I had a daysman, a mediator, right? He was crying out for it because the full revelation of Christ had not come. He had some revelation, and he talks about that later in the book, but in Job, but he, he wanted this redeemer, right? He wanted this revelation, he wanted this mediator to go between so the law came because we're stubborn and God proved to us with the law that our righteousness wouldn't get the job done. But that was never God's intention. He gave us the law to expose that to us. Abraham lived by faith. There was no law when Abraham was following the Lord. And Abraham was a Gentile. So God has to be a God of the Gentiles because Abraham was a Gentile before he was a Jew. He was a Chaldean. There were no Jews before Abraham. God separated him, a type of Christianity, right? He separated him, called him out from the Chaldeans, called him to follow him, and he would lead him and direct him, and he would change his name, he would change his nature, if he would just believe. And he did. Now, he, he battled just like, because all these people are just like us. They, they have a flesh that they have to deal with. So when Abraham got called out, first thing, before he got very far, God pulled him out of Chaldea in a famine. Now, the reason God did that, it was because God was going to show Abraham how, how he was going to care for him and that he could be trusted. Well, Abraham gets in the flesh and turns down into Egypt, right? Because he's afraid of the famine. That's, that's how we all, we all wrestle with that, right? God, we know the promises of God, but then here's the real situation, right? Even though we know the promises of God, here's the real situation. And it's in our nature, and we have to guard against that to try to go take care of ourselves. Now, if you remember, we started this book off when Paul said he was a bondservant, doulos. A doulos... It's not only somebody who's bound, but there were different levels of servant. Some of you are going to remember this. Some servants had far more privileges than others. A doulos was at the bottom. A doulos servant in, in this Roman and Greek culture, a doulos was somebody who was told what to wear, told where to live, told what to eat. I mean, they were under the control totally of their master. But the flip side of that was for a doulos was that the master took responsibility for them totally. And so when Paul uses that phrase, there's two sides to it. When he talks about being a doulos, he's talking about not only his allegiance to God, but he's also talking about how God has taken the responsibility for him. And that's who God is 
in our lives. So the law came, and there's, a, there's a, about a 20-minute clip on our YouTube channel, and it's called The X-Ray. If you want to look at that, it's pretty extensive on this, what I'm sharing with you here. It, it, it's, the law was not the remedy. It was never intended to be the remedy. That's where the Jews, a lot of them got mixed up. They thought the law was their salvation. It's not their salvation. And let me say this. You could live under the law and still be a person of faith, right? You weren't supposed to get caught up in the ritual. You were supposed to see what the ritual or the, the sacrifices and the offerings and the tabernacle, you and I were, or they were supposed to see what that was teaching them about the Messiah that was going to come. So it was always about faith. But the, the law is like an x-ray. Paul said, I didn't know sin until the law came and I died. I realized that I was in sin. Now that moment happens for everybody. Somebody said, how do you know that? Because not only in uh, Corinthians, but in, in Titus, Paul said, or Titus, it says the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So nobody's leaving this planet without being exposed to who God is and the difference between them and who He is. So you can, we talked about this in the in Bible study this morning, that once the light comes on and then it exposes a pile of dirt, you know it's there, right? If you're in a room and we turn the light on and there's a pile of dirt there, you got some choices to make. You may turn the lights back off and pretend it's not there, but no, you'll never be the same because you know that pile of dirt is there. You can sweep it up. You can just push it to the corner where you don't have to look at it. But once the light comes and you've seen it, you're always going to know that. You know the reality of that. You can try to ignore it or whatever. And that's where a lot of people are at. I, I, I really believe that most pe that people aren't as dumb as they want us to think they are. And, and I know, do you know, all of us could testify just how faithful God has been coming after us. Well, He don't love us any more than anybody else out there. These people are getting confronted by the Holy Spirit. They just turn the lights back off. He flicks the lights on and says, look at this dirt. And they say, we don't want to see the dirt. And they flick the lights back off. But God, you think about how faithful God's been to us. How many of you all have been knuckleheads in here? Has anybody been a knucklehead besides me? And look, look how much God just keeps coming after you and I. That right there is enough to just break down and worship. Because He don't love us any more than He loves anybody. He's doing the same thing right now over here in this bar across the street. He's probably trying to reach somebody in that bar or wherever. I'm just using that as an example. God, we know how long-suffering God, all of us can testify to that. You know when you were neglecting God and it was just gnawing at you. You know when you walked out on God for a season in your life and the Holy Spirit kept, you know, have you ever just seen that? That dog or that wants attention, you know, it just keeps pawing at you. That's how the Holy Spirit is to some degree. You, just, you know He's there. And He's reminding you, hey, I turned the lights on, man. What are you going to do? Let's turn the lights back on. Let's see what's going on. So, 
I don't, you know, God is a fair God, so He's not just letting people aimlessly wander. Now, man, men are hard. Men and women are hard, and they, we have a will. And a lot of people don't want anybody telling them what to do. That's how they view Christianity. They say, well, you know, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Yeah, you're doing such a heck of a job running your own life. Right? That's what I say, Lord, leave us alone because we, we did a really good job on our own. That ain't true. That's just not true. And God knows everything about everything. Why wouldn't we want Him to run our lives? Why wouldn't we want Him to invade us and give us direction and go in front of us and watch our behind us? That's what, when you read about some of the protections of God in the Psalms, He's their front guard and their rear guard. That's who God is to us. And he's already been around the corner before we get there. Who, who don't want to follow that? We need the Lord. So this, is, this, this x-ray, I call the law an x-ray. It exposes the problem, right? There it is. But the x-ray can't, if you've ever been to the doctor and had x-rays, the x-ray can't fix anything. It just identifies the problem. That's what Paul's going to talk to us more about in this book. The x-ray exposes the problem. But what do you have to have to fix the problem is the physician. And who is Jesus? The great physician. And the biggest problem we have is sin. You can go to heaven in a lot of varied states. There'll be people in heaven that were blind on earth. There'll be people in heaven that spent the majority of their time in a wheelchair on earth. But you can't get to heaven unless you've had your sins washed away. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. All that matters is whether you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, been born again. So the x-ray was given to us because it teaches us. How many of you all have said to your children, maybe when you were raising children or grand, uh, let, them, let them do it. They need to learn it, right? They need to learn that lesson, right? Let them, let them. That's kind of what the law did for us. We're sitting over here in the corner. Remember this in the New Testament? The, the guy over here realized he was a sinner when he was praying. And he was saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And the guy beside him was a religious dude, right? And he said, he said I thank God I'm not like him. Right? And he was just like, he was worse because he didn't recognize it, right? And, and that's what we do, right? That's what the law exposed in us. Because if we were left to ourselves... This is how the flesh works. We would probably decide how good we are or, or how bad we're not by looking at other people. In fact, that still goes on. Yeah. It's going, and and that, when we look at the law, we automatically think how bad the Jews were. But this is the same thing that goes on today. It's just dressed up different. There are people who think they're all right with God because they go to a certain building. But inside, they're full of dead men's bones. Or maybe they took communion. Or whatever. It's all about rituals things, and they're trying to keep a law, and they don't have any true relationship with God. And that's what God's been after the whole time. So it's always been faith. The law came not as a means of salvation, but as a means of an x-ray to expose the problem. So we could see, hey, I can't do this without Him. I need Him. That's what the law came for. The Jews kind of got... But we still have people in different settings that do, they're doing the same things. They think they're right with God because they keep a certain creed or whatever, you know. But he's after relationship. He wants us to... 
Verse 1 of chapter 4 of Romans says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, because he's the father of the Jews and the Gentiles, he was a Gentile originally, his setting apart and God bringing his line, which was later with Jacob, and when he changed his name to Israel, they became known as the Israelites and the Jews later. But what God did, he called this one man out and said, this is going to be through your seed, your line, I'm going to send my son into the world. So God separated him for that. God's hand on him and calling him out, they later became known as the Jews, but there were no Jews. Everybody was a Gentile, quote unquote, in the beginning, including Abraham and God's hand on his life. So that's what happens with salvation, right? We get called out. So now, and I, I'm just going to be real with you, spiritual ties are stronger than blood ties. I, everybody in my family tree don't serve the Lord. And I have very little fellowship and maybe no fellowship with some of them. But I have brothers and sisters. Remember what Jesus said? He said, you're not... If you leave anything, or if you give up anything in this life for me, he said, not only will you you'll receive a hundredfold more in this life and the life to come. I want you to look, and this is just a partial group, but look at how many brothers and sisters you got now. Some of you grew up as a single child. You spoiled thing, you. <laughs> now you got to learn how to share, right? <laughs> but think about it. you got all these brothers and sisters, right? You, and and I, I've heard stories, people say, man, I wish I had a brother or sister. Well, you come into the body of Christ, you've got all kinds of them. And you see how this works. And so those blood ties, right? I mean, so it's just a beautiful thing to see God, how God puts his family together. He said in verse 2, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So he just believed God. God said, I'm going to bring you out of here. I'll show you what's coming. He said, you just follow me. And as he began. And the reason God called him primarily, we read in the scripture, is because he said, Abraham will be faithful to hand down to him what I give him to the next generation. Now that is our call. Now I know we all love our family. And we all want them to do well. And we got all these things that we'd like to see happen in their lives, right? And, and, and I know parenting, I've parented and I see generations behind me trying to give their, their generation a better life. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're not giving them the things of God, you miss the primary reason for handing something down. Because that, that reality is if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, there ain't no profit in that. So our number one call is to give to that next generation, what God has given to us. You know what the Bible says about Abraham? It says he pitched his tents and built his altars. We live in a culture where that's totally different. The total reversal of that. We build our tents like we're going to stay here forever and pitch our altars. Think about it. A lot of people, they'll shuck going to God's house or being a part of what he's doing for anything, right? If something comes up, they'll just go do that, right? They, because we put a bigger investment in this life than the next one. But that wasn't Abraham. Abraham put less investment in this life and more in the next one. And we do that. 
by handing that down to our children, giving them the, the things of God, modeling it for them. That's the biggest thing we can do is model it. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. See, so he, this was before the law, so he didn't really have anything to barter with God. He, he couldn't say, hey, he was a Chaldean. The Chaldeans weren't the greatest people. But when God called, he answered and he believed. Just like we were talking about this morning, just like Rahab. Rahab, everything about her life was not right. But when the men of God come by and told, them what was, told her what was getting ready to happen, she believed. And she believed so much. Now you think about what she was having to believe for. They, the whole city was getting ready to be wiped out. And one family's going to get spared? How's that going to happen? She never seen Joshua and these guys before. But she believed. She said, we've heard about your God. And she believed. She was convinced. Let me remind you of this because this is what we're talking about. This faith and believing is all undergirded in the New Testament with this verb, pisteo. And that's a borrowed term, but I like to use this term, faithing. Faithers. She put action behind her belief because she hung a scarlet thread and said, I believe. Abraham, they believed. And even though she was a prostitute, that was counted to her for righteousness because she turned and believed upon the Lord. All her sins gone, right? It's all about believing. It's always been about faith. But the law came just so we could get it, right? Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Verse 5, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of a man to whom the Lord, to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and, those, and, the, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So what happened? When I believed, my sin was covered and he imputed to me righteousness, clothing me. And David's probably the guy in the Old Testament that had the greatest New Testament revelation. He knew God wanted relationship. He knew it. The Bible said he was a man after God's heart. He knew God wanted. He wasn't a perfect man, but he knew what God was after. And he struck. And if you'll watch his life, if you study him in Samuel, you'll find that David was constantly running stuff by God. He was constantly checking with God. You know, he's constantly trying to get direction and, and interaction with God. And then when you read his early Psalms, as he, he's a young guy, he talks a lot about his trouble and a little bit about his God. But as you follow his life in those Psalms, he starts, he talks, the older he gets and the more mature he gets, he talks a little bit about his trouble and a whole lot about his God. That's maturity, right? Because he's learned to trust him. What's it going to take for you and I to trust God? What's it going to take for us to be a do loss? And then he says, does this, verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. 
how, was, how then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? When he was uncircumcised because he was a Gentile. When God talked to him and called him out. And he said yes. He followed. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be a father of all those who believe. So that's Jew and Gentile alike. Isn't that, isn't that amazing that Abraham was a Jew and a Gentile? I mean, it's beautiful how God does all this. That he might be the father of all those who believe who, through, uh, who they are uncircumcised, though they are uncircumcised, the righteousness might be imputed to them also. Right? I didn't earn it. I just believed and I got clothed in it. I got imputed righteousness. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So you had Jews who kept the right perspective. It was a few. It was a remnant. They were living under the, uh, the dispensation of the law through Moses, but they were still, everything they were seeing, they weren't seeing it as a ritual. They were seeing, waiting on the Messiah. They believed. They believed that God was just showing them what the Messiah would be and do when he showed up. And they were waiting. And those are the people we read about in Hebrews chapter 11. They confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers here. Think about that life. They said, we're pilgrims and strangers here. You know what the greatest place to be is a place where you and I are no longer striving. Now, let's, you, you, if you've been a Christian long enough or lived life long enough, you've probably experienced both sides of that. It's so much a better place to live where you're not striving, isn't it? This striving, it just takes all your energy, distractive, right? Striving, what are we striving for? We're supposed to be pilgrims and strangers here. Just passing through. Enjoy your life. Enjoy all the things that God has given you. Your family, your children, uh, your job, your material possession, whatever. It's all good, but don't be striving, man. It ain't worth that. What's the Bible say in Psalm 37? Fretting. You could probably add striving as a part of that definition. Fretting only causes harm. Worrying doesn't do anything good. Think about that. It doesn't do anything good. If I told you, I'm going to give you a gift, but it's just going to wreak havoc in your family, you'd probably say, I don't want it. How come we, we need to get away from embracing fear? It's not a good thing. It's not a spiritual banner. Don't make us look more spiritual or nothing. Although people think, have you ever had some people get frustrated with you because you won't worry about stuff with them? And I tell my wife all the time, I, and of course, we, she's not like this, but I tell a lot of people this too. I, I'll pray with you. I'll cry with you. I'll whatever with you, but I ain't going to worry with you because it only causes harm. It's not good for anything. And then he says, why, why should we worry? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Uh, why should we worry? It's all, the game's fixed if you're a Christian. It's rigged. <laughs> if you live, you're going to be, he's going to be right here with you every step of the way. If you die, you go to heaven. What a horrible reward. 
You're not going to run into somebody in heaven kicking a Coke can saying, boy, I wish I hadn't got here. How did I wind up here? (laughs) We got it made. The game's fixed. He says, uh, for the promise uh, that he would be the heir of the world, in verse uh, 13, for the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there's no transgression. Remember what Paul said? He said, when, sin, when the law came, I died. I realized I was a sinner. Well, I don't have a wallet. I don't think there's any money in it, even if I had it. But you know, a lot of times I'll drop a piece of money up here and I'll say to you all that if you saw me drop that and you pick it up and don't give it back to me, then that's stealing. You know, right? There are laws alive in you. You knew that was my $20 bill and you picked it up. And kept it. But if a two-year-old comes through here, picks it up, that's not stealing. That $20 bill don't even have any value to them. They may eat it, tear it up and throw it in the trash, flush it down the commode. Who knows what they'll do with it. But the law's not come, right? They don't understand that belongs to me or whatever. But that, <clears throat> that nature, right, once the law comes, because that nature's already in us. We were born into corruption, right? And once the mental capacity or the, the moment in time where the law comes alive and people start realizing right and wrong, right? Then they're held accountable. And that's what Paul's saying there. But have you noticed this? Have you noticed you don't have to teach anybody how to lie? Have you noticed that? My daughter might have been two or three and decided to cut her own hair with scissors. When she come downstairs, Amy confronted her, and guess what she said? Poor Josiah. She blamed it on Josiah. (laughs) Blamed him for... You don't have to teach them how to lie. We're born that way. But they don't understand it, right, until they get to a certain point. And so you have to say, right, when when the child's born, what a pretty little sinner that is. (laughs) Because we're born with that nature in us. Now, we're not held accountable for that until the light gets turned on and we see the dirt. Then. Then we're held accountable. Let me take you to Galatians 3 and then I'll quit. I think it'll clear up all this muddy water. Because even, even Paul, or excuse me, Peter talked about Paul. He said, man, Paul writes some stuff that's hard to understand. Uh, but let's, let me, I think uh, what we're looking at here in Romans will just kind of open up to you a little bit if you let me read you just some of this in Galatians 3. In Galatians 3, he talks to the Galatians here and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Verse 1, Galatians 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. See, and I believe God will be faithful to do that. Right? It may be through our prayers. It may be through your mouth that you witness to somebody. But God's going to show everybody who His Son is. People are not leaving this earth without that. And that's why Titus said that. Right? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God will be faithful. You just think of how much He run after you, how much He chased you down. In fact, Psalm 23 talks about that. In the Hebrew at the end of Psalm 23 
that all the psalm that most of us know, yea, though I walk through the valley, shout, all that. At the end it says, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, right? That word follow in the Hebrew means chase down. Surely goodness and mercy will chase me down. God's after us. He loves us. He, he, it's not, Peter said it's not His will that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. So God's not leaving those people alone out there. He's after them. He's flicking the lights on. Then they got a decision to make, just like you and I had. He said, uh, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law? <clears throat> Let me back up. Verse uh, 2. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? See the challenge there. They weren't supposed to fall into the flesh under the law. They were just supposed to see the reality of Jesus and the reality of themselves. That's what the law was trying to show them, but they made it a ritual instead of seeing Christ. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and the works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he gets back to Abraham here. Just as Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. That's you and I, if we believe. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's us, by faith, preached the gospel to to Abraham beforehand. So he, why would he say that? Because he was, it's always been about faith, right? It was never, it was never about the law. It was always about faith. And so this is what God always wanted was faith. The law just came as an interval to show us our need for a Savior and show us we couldn't do it without Him. That's good. That's good because we're, we're stubborn. We're all stubborn. And he says, uh, he says, Abraham believed God, was accounted to him for us. Therefore know that only those who are faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. For many, uh, as are of the works of the law, are under, a, under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. You might want to read that whole chapter when you go home. When Jesus came, we'll see this in Romans 7, whenever we get there. But when Jesus came... He kept the law. He married the law. He talks about, here in this book, about being divorced and, and how that what happened was Jesus came, fulfilled the law, and married it to Himself. He took it. He took it. Joined Himself to the law, kept the law. He fulfilled it. And guess what? The law is now joined to Christ and it can't dance with anybody else. It's been joined and married to Christ. He kept it. He fulfilled it. And now it's no longer, she's no longer available. 
You get what I'm saying? That's what Paul's trying to get across with this book. Jesus came and fulfilled the law, kept the law, married Himself to the law, took her away. She's no longer available to go home with us anymore. That's the good news of the gospel. Thank you for delivering us from the curse of the law. We would have not made it without you, Jesus. We thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you that you came and walked two miles, three miles, ten miles, a hundred miles in our shoes. And we thank you that you married yourself to the law and fulfilled it, that she could no longer dance with any of us. We are grateful for your sacrifice. We are grateful that we have a new covenant. We are grateful for our father Abraham. We are grateful for you, our King and our Savior, our healer and our redeemer. We could not make it without you. And we rejoice in eternal life because of you. In Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. He's worthy. So.